Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. Today's special guest, and I mean very special guest, is Matthew Scaletti. So Matt is an entrepreneur, author, professional speaker, philanthropist, life coach, and just an absolute all-around amazing human. So I'm very, very honored that, Matt, you took the time out of your day to be here. So thank you. I'm excited, my friend. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Matt, so I first heard, actually, where I first was met, where I first met Matt, excuse me, was uh, was at my work. He came and gave us, gave my staff a little mo- little bit of a motivational speech, and it was an awesome story, and Matt has an awesome story. So, Matt, you know, um, if you don't mind just kind of taking us through your your life in the past 15 years or so. Yeah, I sure will. So, I'll try to make it, uh, I'll try to make it brief. So, I'm 36 years old right now. And the quick story is I was in high school. I was an athlete. I loved basketball. I played all four years. And it just felt like everything was going so perfect in my life. And then I went off to college where uh, I'm sure you probably know this too, Jess, but you get introduced to alcohol. And I had never really been drunk in my life before. So what happened was I started enjoying the partying scene as soon as I got to college, freshman year. It was partying three to four nights a week. Sophomore, junior year was four to five nights a week. And by senior year, I mean, it was close to seven nights a week of partying, drinking. And I thought it was just the best feeling in the world until I got out of college and I took a sales job in Boston and I could not get myself out of that spiral of thinking I need to be drinking to have fun. And I never thought it was that serious until I would start pre-gaming family gatherings. And it was just, it was not good. I was going down the wrong path. And I finally, October, 2011 hit rock bottom. I woke up in the morning, hung over, my head was pounding. I had pizza boxes all over the floor. I woke up on the floor of my living room in the South side of Pittsburgh. And it was that moment that I really needed to have happen, which was just oh my God, I got to change my life and I need to do it ASAP or my liver's not going to last five more years. I mean, I truly believe that's how bad it was getting. So um, I started from there and it was a slow process of I'm a fitness nutball now, but I can tell you that in the beginning when I started to tell myself, okay, I'm done drinking, Matt, let's get healthier. Let's do this thing. I went down in my basement and it's, it's actually pretty funny. I thought I worked out for about an hour. The first time I really worked out hard, I'm like, all right, that was probably about an hour. I go upstairs. It had been 16 minutes that I was down in my basement. And I thought, well, this is a starting point. I got a long way to go. But that's kind of where the whole lighting of the fire began as far as me starting this new journey as a healthy person. And it was it's a slow process. It was a slow process. First, I tried to change everything at once. I tried to go from you know, drinking four or five nights a week to completely sober and eating perfectly. And I just think I went too hard too fast. And I, I kind of backslid a little bit and started over. And then once I slowly changed my lifestyle, it became a habit. And I haven't looked back since then. And I'm happy to tell you any of the fun stories along the way as far as fitness challenges. But I'll let you see where you want to take this thing. But I'm, I'm open to talk about whatever you want. For sure, for sure. So, what what were some of those habits that you just talked about? And you know, I think we I think we all make the mistake too of kind of just going too hard, too fast, and you know, burning out, and just kind of getting just getting tired of everything. So, what were 
once you realized that, what were the habits that you started to make to start uh, changing your lifestyle, being healthier, you know, working out, whatever it may be? What were those habits? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the one that I would give you and your listeners is having a morning routine. And I told myself, I'm like, okay, can I just own the first 15 or 30 minutes of the morning and then we'll go from there? And it started with being not hungover in the morning. That was very helpful. But then I thought, okay, 15 minutes. What if I just what if I just journal a little bit and maybe do 10 minutes of a workout? Let's start there and see how it goes. And sure enough, within a week, I'm thinking, okay, 15 minutes is not enough. Like, let's kick this thing up to 30 minutes. Did that for a few weeks and just kept adding on more time in my morning, getting up earlier in the morning. And I'm still, I'm a morning guy. I love, love, love the hours of 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. like crazy. And I never would have thought I was like that. But I think a powerful morning routine for anybody. I don't care if you're just trying to get healthier, if you're trying to read more, if you're trying to become wealthy, having that powerful morning routine where you're taking action on your morning versus reacting to things, aka looking at your phone and checking social media. Because as you and I were talking before we started, I mean, I know I've done this. I could be on Instagram or, or Facebook for 45 minutes and it feels like 30 seconds. So I do not scroll or use the phone until my morning routine is completely over and I've attacked the day. Absolutely. I love that. And, you know, I, I want to get into your morning routine, but first, you know, I think that's such an underrated thing is just is having a morning routine. Um, you know, I think for, and for me too, I have a morning routine, you know, it's similar to yours, but it's just so important because it, it just gets your brain activated and, you know, sets your tone for the day rather than like getting up and, you know, just kind of like, oh, sitting there, what should I do today? And, you know, you, you have a plan and that's always good. So Matt, you know, what is your morning routine? And I'll first say, I love what you do at 5.15 in the morning or five in the morning. <laughs> you know what? You just inspired me. I got to start videotaping that and I haven't done that in a while. So that is, if anybody, uh, I don't know if anybody follows me on, on social media, but the first thing I do is, well, first thing I do is I jump out of bed. I put my alarm clock, my phone across the room. So it forces me to get out of bed and I can't just roll over and shut the alarm off. And then as soon as my feet hit the floor, I thank thank the big guy, thank God, thank my creator for being able to play in this world another day. And that just sets me in that grateful state as soon as my feet hit the floor. And then I think this is what you're alluding to. I play music and if my wife's still sleeping, I put in headphones and I literally dance for yep. probably 30 to 60 seconds. And the same thing happens every time. First, I feel like an idiot, even though nobody can see me unless I'm filming it. But secondly, I just start laughing. I mean, it's such a silly thing. And it just puts me, like you were saying, it puts your brain in this state of, oh my goodness, like life is pretty fun, even at 5.05 in the morning. Like I can still have a good time. So I, I gotta be honest, I don't even know why I started doing it, but it's been addicting ever since I started it. And I'm telling you right now, Jesse, I'm going to start videotaping that again because it's been a while. So you inspired oh, me. I can't wait. I can't <laughs> wait to see it. Every time I, you know, if I do, you know, if I do check my phone in the morning, I've been, normally I do, but like, you know, I've been trying to at least wake up and not check my phone. But when I do, I always see, you know, you're, you're the first name that pops up on my phone. I get to watch the dance party and it, it does excite me, you know, puts a smile on my face. I'm like, this is awesome. Like this guy loves life. <laughs> It, it, it puts me in a good mood. So thank you. 
Hey, well, you're welcome, but you can tell me what you actually think. Your eye roll or something. You can tell no, me. No, no, I mean, I think I'm like, man, this guy's dancing like an idiot, but it's still like, it's still like a, a great feeling and, it, and it, it's fun. And it's it, it is. It's a ton of fun. And I know you're interviewing me, but I got to ask you a question. What, give me something that's in your morning routine that it, you just, you have to do to start your day. Is there something that sticks out? Yeah, I got to move. I got to, you know, whether I'm, you know, whether I'm kind of like stretching or just moving, I just got to move. And luckily the weather started to turn. So I've been going on just little quick 10, 10 to 15 minute walks and it's so peaceful. Um, you know, it, it's been around like between kind of 545 and six years that I've been going. So it's so peaceful. The sun's coming up. It's quiet. It's, you know, the weather is comfortable and it's like no phone, no watch, any, nothing, just kind of me and the birds. And, and it's very peaceful. And for me, it's kind of like a morning meditation because I'm, I can't sit still to meditate. So that's kind of like my meditation where I just walk and think about the day and everything like that. I think that is really, really powerful. And I'm with, for some odd reason, I've become this like bird fan where we just put, we'll put out our bird feeders and everything. And I'll sit there and watch them for like 10 minutes. And just like you said, it's just peaceful. Like I don't think about anything else. It's just relaxing. I think that's great that you move first thing in the morning. Yeah. I mean, for, I mean, for me, it, it just kind of wakes me up to like, you know, the other night I, I didn't get to bed till a little bit later and I woke up super tired. And I was just like, all right, just got like, I didn't want to move. I didn't want to go for a walk. I wanted to stay in bed, but you know, I got up, forced myself to walk a little bit. And I was like, okay, now I'm feeling good. And it's back to normal. So um, for me, like that movement is so crucial for me. Moving. Uh, I'm with, you know what, just cause you said that you got me, you got my mind going. My, my wife actually, told me to do this. This is a couple of years ago. First thing she does in the morning, well, one of the first things is she puts really cold water on her face. She just goes over to the sink, freezing cold water, boom, splash it on the face. And I, I started that. doing it. And it's like the same thing happens every morning. I tell myself, oh man, I don't want to do this. And then after you do it, I am just wired. Like I'm so awake. And I do that right before I start my little yeah. party. It's just, a, it's, it wakes you up. I mean, it just, it works. She's right. For sure. For sure. So, so once you started to, you know, get back on track, get your life together and now you're killing it, you become a five time, well, you became, I guess, a five time physique bodybuilding champion. You know, what, what drove you to do that? And then, you know, what was that whole process like? Yeah. So that was really what drove me is, as I said, that morning, October, 2011, when I woke up and hit rock bottom, I remember looking at myself in the mirror and just knowing I was living at 5% of my potential. And I think I can still picture myself looking at myself in the mirror and that still drives me. It's just, it drives me because I know how much I had in the tank in my mid twenties and I knew I wasn't living anywhere near what I had in the tank. And I thought, okay, what if it, I guess I have an addictive personality so I can go from one extreme to the other. And, and really within about eight months, I, I had lost 45 pounds. I was just a nut in the gym. And I think you're hitting the nail on the head with the deep reason why I think whether it's me, you or anybody else to get to a certain level in your life, there's gotta be a reason why. And that why for me was looking at myself in the face in the mirror and just wanting to be basically the opposite of the person that I had become. And so I started running in the opposite direction of him. And it led to it led to a lot of really, really cool experiences. And for anybody that's, if you have listeners who are ever thinking about competing on stage, this is the other thing I learned, which is 
it's just you against you because it's it's a very subjective thing where they're basically comparing your body against you know 30 or 40 other guys and it's you know it's whatever that judge sees that day so it really taught me i got second in my first show which i was really excited about but then i thought well, this sucks. You know, I wanted to win. Thing. <laughs> and I learned all I can control is what I can control, which is get the best shape I can. And you go out there, you have fun, you you know, you do your thing on stage, you be silly, whatever your personality is. And then the pieces will fall where they may. And that it really, really taught me a lot. Um, and I ended up, yeah, I ended up winning five different shows over a course of about three years. And I just, I mean, it became a healthy addiction. I, I loved it. When I got up in the morning, I just couldn't wait to get in the gym. I'm still that way. And yeah, it kind of just lit this fire of, it gave me something to shoot for. I, di- I didn't have a goal really in my life before then. And I now I had this goal of, okay, October 12th is the next show. I got to get myself ready. I got to be prepared. And then you come up with a plan, like you said, in the morning, and then you attack. So it really, it it definitely changed my entire life competing on stage because it gave me it gave me that goal that's amazing that is awesome so you know i also want to get into you're you're a two-time world record holder what are those records because that that's incredible that's amazing (laughs) so i trying to remember end of 2017 and and then another one in early 2018 so i actually i was trying to set the world record the guinness book world record for most burpees in eight hours and it's Um, actually Yeah, it's an interesting story. So I'm like, okay, I'm going after this. And what I did was, I mean, I didn't know how you train to set the world record for most burpees in eight hours. I figured, okay, I'll do burpees for 15 minutes one day. Then a couple of days later, I'll go 30 minutes and I'll just keep adding on time. And really, it was going really, really good until like probably about three weeks in. And I was trying to go for four hours. And I ended up tweaking my back in like two and a half hours in, and, and I was devastated because I just, I, I will push myself to the max, but I'm not going to, I'm trying not to risk injury. And that's right. what I try to preach to people that I coach. I mean, I never want anybody to get injured because they're pushing themselves so hard. So I thought, okay, this one's not going to work out. But the old me, the October 2011 me would have given up. The new person was like, okay, Maybe there's something else I can go after. So I got a hold of this guy with the world record, you know, company. And I said, you know, I, I told him what I did. I love lifting weights, blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, why don't you try to lift a million pounds faster than anyone ever has? And I'm kind of laughing, like, you want me to bench press like a million pounds? Like, well, how, how does it happen? And he said, you got to use four different upper body um machines which are it was a shoulder press a lat pull down a low row and a bench press and he said you can only use these four you can do as much or as little weight as you want you have to videotape yourself and you got to lift a million pounds and i think the record was like nine hours and 40 minutes or something like that and so i was like okay now i got a goal i got something to shoot for it seems like maybe we're hitting a theme here when i have a goal i i more focused but uh so I, it took maybe two and a half months, three months, something like that, of training. I got to, I think, 500,000 pounds. And I thought, if I can get that far, I can get to a million. So we set it up. And I'll tell you, I ended up, I think I was like seven hours into it. And at that point, 
my I didn't think this was going to happen. This never happened to me. I couldn't grip anything because my forearms, it was like shooting pain going right. both of my forearms, which I didn't see this coming. So, you know, you got to adjust. I'm like, okay, I'm not quitting. Like, can I adjust and change something? So what I had to do was, oh, I should have mentioned this. I only was doing 50 pound repetition. So I'm a, I decided to go low weight and really high repetition on all these machines. So it got to the point where I couldn't grip anything. So three of the four exercises I couldn't do, but the one I could do was bench press because I didn't have to grip the bar. I could just push right. it straight out. So I ended up doing the last like 150,000 pounds of just bench press. And I got there. My wife was there. My brother was there. I had to, the, um, the gym owner had to be there to verify it. And I got it done. I think it was nine hours and 17 minutes was the, wow. was the amount. So yeah, it was a kind of a bizarre record to go after, but I, I, I need to have that goal out there. I need to know what yeah. next, and I got to keep pushing myself. Yeah. And so another crazy thing you just did, I mean, this one was very recent. You ran a hundred miles in what, was it 36 hours? Uh, what had to be under 36. I ended up doing it in 28 hours. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, and obviously that was to, to raise cancer, but what, what I really want to get to the bottom of is, is what's that mindset and what's that self-talk that you're going through during one of these records or during even like everyday life, just to keep motivating yourself and to continue to push yourself through hard times. I, I think that's such a unbelievably good question. And I hope I can come up with a, a good enough answer for it. But uh, I mean, I'll use the hundred mile run for an example. I was actually just journaling about this last week. And one of the things I was taught this by a guy by the name of Jesse Itzler, who's kind of become a mentor of mine. He's, I love Jesse Itzler. You know, yeah, yeah. So he, we've actually been in communication uh, on Instagram and he's been a huge uh, mentor to me. And he basically helped me with my mindset, which part of it was, he said, Matt, a lot of the people that don't make it, let's say they're 40 or 50 miles into the race. They start thinking, oh my God, I have 50 miles to go. Like, I'll, that's just so long. How am I going to do double what I already did? Like, that's there's no way. So I train myself to just focus on the next mile. I told somebody yesterday, I didn't run 100 miles. I ran one mile 100 times. So it was just, I'm not thinking about what mile I'm on. I'm just thinking, okay, get to the end of this mile. And I think when you're, when you don't overwhelm yourself, it's like anybody in business or in your everyday life. If you have 314 things to do and you think, oh my God, I have 314 things to do. You're in my opinion, you're probably going to do zero of them because I've been there. So you just go, okay, of the 314 things I got to do, what's the top priority or top three priorities? And let's focus on those today. So I think that's part of what this taught me was just chunk it down into smaller pieces and stuff that you can digest and then go from there. And the other thing, which you alluded to already, Jess, which is the, I told my wife, I'm like, okay, we're keeping this a positive mindset. Like if I'm hurting, which we know is going to happen, Let's keep it positive. Let's just smile and say, I can do this. I'm going to get through this. And I think that positivity really was necessary. Without that, I don't think there's any chance that I would have made it, uh, you know, 28 hours, basically running all through the night. You got to keep that that positive mindset because 
I don't know if you know this, Jesse, but I, I know it. I've gone negative in my mind and it can go quick and it can get right. bad quick. So you kind of just got to know how powerful words are, especially the most powerful words are the one you continue to say to yourself every single day. So um, one of the things I do, I'm actually, I'm turning around looking at it. I have a, a morning creed and it's really, it's really quick, just something to get you thinking positive about yourself. And during the long races, for me, it's normally something like, I know this is going to sound like, like egotistical maybe, but it's like, I'll tell myself I'm unstoppable. I'm a machine. I'm, I'm unstoppable. I'm a machine just over and over and over again. And you start to believe it and you start thinking, okay, maybe I am a machine and I can run a hundred miles. So I think you're hitting the nail on the head of that self-talk is just a powerful beast. For sure. For sure. So now I want to get into kind of the, the coaching being that I think some of the, some of the people that listen are coaches. So, you know, what, what, when you're coaching people, and this is different because it's, you know, a one-on-one setting, but you know, where do you feel that these, the people that you're coaching need your help? Like where are they struggling the most currently? Well, that's a, that's a great question too. So just so your audience knows, I do a lot of, um, I'd say probably 75% of what I do is speaking and then 25% is coaching. So I, I still do love the coaching world and I have coaches and mentors who mentor me. So um, I'm coaching, but also being coached. And I think, I know we already talked about it, but I think that morning routine or at least some sort of routine is a big thing that I talk to basically all of my people about is having as soon as you get up in the morning, there has to be like you said, there has to be a plan. Uh, and I think that plan, we, we can go deeper into that. Because not to not to throw anybody, uh, friends or family under the bus, but I'm sure you've heard this being said in the past, which is, my dad used to, I used to laugh because he was in great shape his whole life. And he always used to say on New Year's Eve, like, I want to lose a few pounds next year. I want to lose a few pounds. But, and he was already in good shape anyways. But if there's like, there needs to be a specific plan. And if there's no plan, then it's never going to happen. And in that scenario, let's say somebody tells you they want to lose 10 pounds. Well, do you want to lose 10 pounds in the next two months or two years or 20 years? Or what's the time frame? So I, I think part of it is with coaching is having a plan. And I think the biggest thing is probably, this is what I've seen anyways, is accountability. So having somebody that it will hold them accountable, and I'll absolutely hold anybody accountable. I have accountability partners for me. So I'm a big, big fan of the quote, the guy that mentored Tony Robbins, his name was Jim Rohn. And he said, "The you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with." Yeah. Never forget reading that, thinking, "Oh my God, like that's that's so true." You know, you, whoever you spend the most time with is who you're going to be more like. Um, so, I think me being a coach to somebody, I'm one of those you know five people that they're spending a lot of time with. So they're going to be more like me or like the other people that are close to them. So you got to keep raising the bar so they keep elevating themselves. And I, I do, I think that accountability stuff is, is a big, big part of coaching where, you know, I, I've had people that have coached me and, you know, you're, let's just say I have a call with my coach next Tuesday. 
I'm thinking, okay, I got to do what they told me to do. Like, I want to be prepared. I want to make sure I, you know, I show up for this guy. And in turn, you're improving yourself while also showing up for your accountability partner. So what I, I got to ask you, like, do you, I know you do, you do coaching as well. What's, is there a certain area that you're typically need your clients need the most guidance with? Yeah. You know, I, and I think, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, at least like from a, from personal training perspective, a lot of times it's accountability. You know, I was just training, uh, just training some people last night and they're like, yeah, and I, you know, I just, I can't hold myself accountable. Like, and then it was two girls. And then one of them was like, Oh, that's what Jesse's for. I'm like, uh, yeah, you know what? I'm the accountability part, you know? And so it, it kind of maybe changed my view. And then now you saying this, it's all kind of clicking. It's like, you know, I'm not really a trainer. I'm more of a, an accountability coach. Like I'm a, you know, I, I don't, I think looking at it as a trainer is kind of, it's like, it's what you do, you know, but the accountability coach and the accountability aspect of, of the things is, is what you provide. So, you know, I think you touched on it right away is a lot of people just need to continue to hold, hold themselves accountable in their everyday actions. Yeah. And I think you just, you just nailed it too, wrapping it up. They need to hold themselves accountable. And I, I'm, I don't know if you're the same with me. I have a feeling you might be, but I, my whole goal with coaching people is that they don't they, they don't need me anymore. At least they don't need that accountability. It turns into a lifestyle for them. And yes, I want to you know keep helping them and, and be a part of their their crew. But at the point where they say you know something like Matt, like I still want you around, but I don't know if I need you to hold me as accountable as you did in the beginning. Like that puts a smile on my face because right. now they're internally motivated, and I think that's really cool. For sure. For, yeah. You know, I, I saw a quote a while ago about just training was like, you know, be the person or that provides them with opportunities so they don't need you, but provide them such a good opportunity that they still want you. You know, and I think that's Ooh. kind of my goal. Yeah, that's good. I've never heard yeah. that one before. Ah, I got you. I got you. Yeah. So, you know, building off the accountability, I think, you know, what you know what makes people accountable to you i think is is kind of like them buying into you and so how do you get get the people that you coach to believe in you and believe in what you're telling them Uh, yeah that's i've never been asked that question that's a really good yeah you know you you asked me before this what if i asked the same questions all the coaches and that's kind of one of the things that uh that, that i asked so yeah, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just so everybody knows, I, I was not prepped with any of these questions, which make this conversation even more real. And I love that. So, I, you know what? I think the answer, well, at least the way that I would answer it is, how, how do you get people to kind of buy into your philosophy? I, I am a huge believer of you need to be practicing what you preach. And I, I mention this often in my speeches, which is, Advice is free, provided the advice is worth receiving. Only meaning take advice from people that actually know what they're talking about. And let's say, for example, I want, let's say I'm broke and I want to learn how to be a millionaire and I'm getting advice from somebody who's also broke. That's not, that's probably not going to be good advice because they're, they're not a millionaire. They're not wealthy. So I'm a believer of if I'm going to coach somebody to do something and I, I wouldn't do that myself then that's not good. I need to be aligned with my values, with what I'm 
preaching, what I'm helping somebody that's a coaching client. And I need to be a firm believer of everything that I'm talking about. So I that's actually part of my drive with even back when I was competing on stage uh, in some of these fun fitness events I've done. I want to show my audience. I want to show my coaching client that I love healthy living. I love fitness. I love eating healthy. And I'm going to show you through my lifestyle that I firmly believe in what I'm teaching you. Uh, so, I, yeah, I've been I think you need to practice what you preach and live aligned with what you're coaching about. I love that. I love it. And I think that's so important, too, because, you know, the, the way I always see it is, you know, I, th- I think sometimes like we, we forget that. And, you know, especially in in my profession and being a coach and being a trainer, it's like, I you know, I need to look the part and obviously need to act the part. But, like, you know, practice what I preach. And I think it's so, so important. And it's just like, would you take health advice from a doctor that did it, that like smoked or something like that? And that's how what I always compare it to. And so that kind of, you know, talking about that internal drive, that's something that drives me, too. It's like, if well, I wouldn't take advice from a doctor that smokes cigarettes, so why would it, you know? So that's kind of keeping me on my toes too. I I one thousand percent agree with that. I, I actually I'll tell you a quick story. This is this is years ago, but I will never forget watching. And it, it was I guess he was a health coach. I mean, he was talking about nutrition and healthy living, and the guy was a great speaker. He spoke very well. And after that, it was in a hotel hotel room. So after that, there was a little reception and everything. And I'm, I'm walking by him and not only does he have this like massive plate of fried food, but he's already on his third beer. And I was thinking, wait, 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 wait a second. You're telling me, you know, eat these foods and drink water. And then you're doing this in front of all of us. Right. I thought it, uh, I hate to judge, but I, I thought it lost a lot of credibility and I want people to live aligned with their mission. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I give nutrition advice too, but I'm just like, guys, you need you need to enjoy yourself too. I mean, I'm the first to admit that I will crush ice cream, pretty, <laughs> you know, once or twice a week. I I don't, I don't hold back. I, yeah, I just I'm like, get, I crush ice cream. So it's like, you know, I'm like, you know, enjoy your life. Life's a beautiful thing. So I think um, that's great. I think you make a great point, though. I, if I don't know if you want to stay there for a second, but I think yeah. enjoying life and because a lot of times people ask me, Matt, like, don't you ever just you know eat whatever you want and to be honest, yes, but at the same time, like, I just know how good I'm going to feel if I eat healthy right. 95% of the time. But I, I'll tell you mine, and you might think this is silly, but almond butter and peanut, peanut butter are two that I still struggle with. And uh, I can devour a can of peanut butter, a jar of peanut butter in one sitting. And it's, it's, I mean, I know organic peanut butter is good for you, but not necessarily the entire jar. So <laughs> I, have, I have my trigger foods as well. That's for sure. For sure. For sure. So, you know, speaking of eating, what I'm curious to know is, so you're, you're living a vegan lifestyle and when did you go vegan and why has that helped you? Because for me, you know, I, I could, I can never do it. And yeah. So, I mean, you know, what do you love about being vegan? First off, you could do it, Jesse. So don't get me started. Oh, right. No, I I could do it. I think I don't want to do it. So sorry. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Well, and I'll just uh, I I'm let's say ninety six percent vegan. I, I I guess the quote is plant based, which is the majority right. of foods are are plant based. And here's here's the one takeaway I would give to to everybody, which is leading up to this one hundred mile 
race. And I mean, I'm 36 years old, so I'm not 25 like some people, young pups in the room. <laughs> uh, but I mean, obviously, I'm not old either. But um, so I started eating plant based probably, and my wife does too, which makes it easier that she she's basically 100% plant based, probably about maybe six to eight months ago. And here, here's really the, the major takeaway that I've seen is the the ability to recover is something that I didn't see that coming. And I'm, I'm getting ready for this 100-mile race in a 28-hour span. I ran a marathon every Saturday for nine weeks leading up to this 100-mile uh, ultra marathon. And the crazy part was, and I don't know if it fully had to do with eating plant-based. I'm sure it had to do with stretching and foam rolling and ice baths and all that stuff. But I recovered so quick from these really, you know, marathons that I was running. And it was shocking to me how fast at 36 years old, my body was recovering. And I mean, I'm a big, I stretch constantly and foam roll constantly. I'm sure that had a lot to do it and hydrate, but to recover that quick at 36 years old, running a full marathon, it was, it blew my mind. I mean, my wife was like, I, I, th I don't think she wants to hear it anymore because I just, I kept it out I can't believe it. I can't believe I'm not sore. Like what is going on? So that's, I would say there's, there's a lot of positives to plant-based diet, but that was the biggest one. And I'm still, I was down for a week after that a hundred mile went and then starting, you know, like 10 days later, I, I was basically close to a hundred percent and I got to give at least some of the credit to you know the plant-based and vegan lifestyle um but i don't here's the other thing i don't know if do you ever see the movie what's it called game changers game changers i don't think so they follow i think it came out last year my wife and i went to see it it was really really good but they follow around these vegan or plant-based athletes and they just talk about some of the benefits and some of the benefits uh, or, or the the down falls to to not being vegan or eating certain meats and stuff and it was just really eye-opening i think that pushed us we were close to it already but that kind of pushed us over the top so it's a good it's a good um watch i think it's like it's only like an hour and 20 minutes but if anybody wants to on demand it or netflix it or whatever game changers it's really really um it was a game changer for me that's for sure got it got it interesting maybe maybe i'll check it out i don't know <laughs> I'll, I'll sleep on that one, but when, um, when you go to these speaking engagements and you get hired to speak, what are, I, you know, I assume you, you find out, you know, everything about the audience, but what are some of the key points that you, you tend to touch on in, in every engagement? Yeah, that's it. You're firing some good ones. These are really good questions. I, I'll tell you, uh, this is as simple as I can put it. I, I have a speech that I've done a lot. I do, I've done it in schools. I've done it in business events, uh, conferences, and I've called it the four pillars of fulfillment. So I know we talked uh, before this that we're both avid readers and I, I just became one probably about two or three years ago. So I've been devouring books left and right and just trying to learn everything I can about basically the art of happiness and fulfillment and living a great lifestyle. And what I, what I came up with is these four pillars and the four pillars, and this is just my opinion based on my life and research and everything are every day 
I think you need to do four things, which are grow, give, love, and live. And those four, I'll, I'll go off and tell stories about those four and why I think they're so important. But I mean, just to break them down real quick is every day you got to grow, right? You got to do something that's outside of your comfort zone that can help you get to the next level. If yesterday, you know, you ran uh, half a mile, today you run 0.6 miles and you just continuously try to find little mini ways to grow every single day. Uh, second thing is give. And I don't mean give money. I mean, it could be money if you want, but give time, give a compliment to somebody. I actually would probably highlight give and say that's been the greatest thing that I've learned about myself and humanity is when you, when you, I don't think you can have a perfect day without giving back to somebody or adding value to somebody. And that give, uh, I wrote a book about, it was been two years ago now, and I've, I've given away a lot of the copies and it's because I obviously wanted to add value to the person, but selfishly, it just feels so good to give. I mean, it's just an right. amazing feeling. Um, and then love, which is not only love others, which obviously you want to do, but love yourself. And I, I think some people would argue that it's egotistical to love yourself. I would say it's essential to love yourself because if you just kind of tolerate yourself, it's hard to show love out to the world, in my opinion. So right. I think you got to love yourself, at least like yourself, if you want to give the world your best. Uh, and live just means just means 5 a.m. dance parties, right? Like it just means live this, this world can be seen as just a fun game. And even if you have setbacks, you got to find ways to keep plowing forward because uh, yeah, you got to live it up, right? That's, that's your ice cream. That's part of your ice cream. You got to live you gotta have a little yeah. ice cream every now and then. Oh man, that's amazing. That was amazing. Um, you know, I, as you were saying that I was, I was writing it down. So I'm, I'm glad you, that is awesome. Cause those four, Pillars, I think, are so crucial, and I couldn't agree more with every single one of them. So that that's amazing. So no, thank you. I, I just want to make sure I clarify something too. I, I sometimes get asked this, and I will be fully uh, transparent. There is no way every day of my life I do all four of those. So it's just I try and I strive to do it, and it's four things that I think about every morning. But I think for me to sit here and say, oh yeah, I do all four of these, you know, hundred percent of the time. That's not true. Uh, but it's nice to have a guideline of when my head hits the pillow at night, if I can think of how I did each of those four, I can't help but have a smile on my face. It just feels like a completely full and loaded up great day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Matt, so what the last question that I do ask all of my, all the coaches that I bring on and, you know, being that uh, you're a coach and now a guest, what, the last question that I like to end with is what, you know, after every speaking engagement, after every coaching client that you have that, you know, you move on from the next, what is one or two things that you want them to have said about you? Oh, one or two things that I want them to say about me. Um, that's a, mm, yeah, you got me thinking now. I, I think this may be more for the speaking part. Maybe I'll give you one for each. Yeah, but, uh, I'm a huge energy guy. So like bringing positive energy to a room. And I think one of the one of the nicest compliments or nicest thing people said about me is that, Matt, when you were speaking, like you had everybody engaged and you could feel the energy of the room just going through the roof. And to me, like to have that big of an impact, 
basically on somebody myself, meaning that I was scared to death to speak in public until I was probably 30 years old. Uh, so to, to flip that around and now have a big impact on somebody and be able to raise their energy level. And then, you know, that helps because then they engage, they want to listen to what you're saying, and then you could have a positive impact on that individual. So that was a big, I'm uh, just thinking about some of the people that said that, that put a big smile on my face. Uh, and really with coaching, I think the one thing that comes to mind is if it's big or a small thing, if you can get somebody, anybody to make a small change or big change in their life, you basically just impacted that person for the rest of their life. So I think that's, that's what comes to mind. And I can't get myself off of thinking that is just that one simple little thing. And maybe it's the 5am dance party. Maybe it's throwing cold water in your face. Maybe it's reading. I don't know. But any little thing that somebody picks up and I could add value to their life. It's just, I don't think there's any more important thing in the world of coaching anyways, than, than adding value to somebody else. I love it. I love it, Matt. This 40 minutes has been phenomenal. Thank you so much. Um, before, again, before you go, guys, make sure uh, you head over to mattscaletti.com and I will put it all in the show notes. You can check out his book, the first 15 and learn more about Matt, but I promise you everything Matt posts is amazing and inspiring. So please, you know, take the time to give him a follow, but Matt, thank you so much, man. Hey, thanks for having me. This was awesome. And you really put me on the spot a few times. I like that. I like that a lot. I'm glad I can keep you on your toes. <laughs> you sure did. <laughs> All right. We'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Jess.